really want to make you mine Four, five, six, come on and get your kicks Now you don't need the money when you look like that, do you, honey? You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. We're on to Cincinnati. Swing and a miss, Frank Lee, it's over. On 98.1 WQAQ. You believe in miracles? Yes! It's out of here! Bartolo has done it! The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Happy Monday night. You are listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ-FM. My name is Jack Main. And I am Stephen McAvoy. And we are super excited to share our Monday nights with you this semester. We have a lot to get to this evening, and we only have about 60 minutes to tell you everything you need to know, should know, and what you want to know. So, just so you guys know, I'm the uh, numbers guy while Jack's just kind of doing his thing. Uh... It's kind of funny. Uh, I did this in high school a little bit. Uh, now I kind of feel like MJ when he realized he uh, wanted back in basketball. Back in the helm. Happy to be back and let's get to it. And I'm like really happy too because my last show was at 9 p.m. on Thursday and my mom would fall asleep like halfway <laughs> through. It was like Big Bang Theory ended and my mom would, would listen to the show and she would fall asleep halfway through. So finally my mom gets to listen to an entire hour because we're starting at 7. Prime time Monday night. I love that. I love it. So obviously uh, this week, big week, first semester here at Quinnipiac uh, for first of uh, first week getting into the second semester i should say which means that it is super bowl week super bowl 53 featuring a familiar face in not the rams the new england patriots are back in the super bowl for the third straight year in their fourth time in five years is that right yeah Yeah. Uh, do you also know that so the rams this is the first time the rams are back in the super bowl since 2002 uh when they ultimately lost to that team from new england the patriots um that year, uh, it's notorious. Tom Brady set up the Adam Vinatieri field goal uh, as time expired. They won it all. Fun fact, Sean McVay was 17 years old. Now he's 33. Tom Brady's 41. And here we are. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane that the Patriots dynasty started, you know, when I was one years old. And the same quarterback's been playing uh, ever since I was one. And I've, ever, since I have started school, I started school in 2005 uh, in kindergarten. And ever since then, it has been, it has been the Patriots and Tom Brady just at the top of the NFL, and it is insane that I'm a freshman in college, and Tom Brady and the Patriots are still the best team in the NFL. You know, it's it's crazy to think about how when you look at the all-time greatest, no one's really progressed to the to the age of 41. It's like you look at players like Peyton Manning, who towards the back end of his career. His arm was basically like one of the uh, inflatable tube guys, like car dealerships, like flail around, <laughs> Fla- L- like wheeling a t- inflatable tube guy. Yeah, yeah. Like he could barely th- he could barely throw a ball twenty yards, and like Joe Montana, he he maintained, but towards the back three years of his career, he was done. Now Tom Brady's forty one years old, going on forty two, and he's literally said, "This ain't it." So I like he can go till he's forty five. He could be the oldest player ever. Who knows? But I, it's it's incredible. It- it's yeah. I mean, it's just it's just so insane that at 41 years old he's having a more productive career than I think anybody in the history of professional sports. Absolutely. And I mean, like when you, when I say that, I'm thinking about guys like uh, Nolan Ryan, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Those those athletes who just put up insane, unbreakable numbers. And they, you just know that they're never going to be touched by anybody because, well, we, there's so many problems in the NFL, and we're going to get to that a little later tonight. But let's just break down the Super Bowl. Let's break down the the in-game matchups that we're going to see. Of course, I think the, the biggest in-game matchup we're going to see is Tom Brady against the youngster Jared Goff. Jared Goff was drafted in 2015, I believe. He was the number one overall pick by the St. Louis Rams at the time. They were just moving into L.A. Um 
and he his first couple years, his first year under Jeff Fisher, he just looked like a bust. He looked like a Cleveland Brown quarterback playing for the playing for the uh, for the Rams, and then they can Jeff Fisher. The Rams can Jeff Fisher. They bring in the offensive mind and Sean McVay, and he comes in and, and Jared Goff turns his career around. Yeah, like honestly, it's to no fault of the Rams. It really was the Jeff Fisher project, and that was what what was what was the big decline. It's almost like so. As a Giants fan, obviously, the big issue that we've had over the last four years was Ben McAdoo. Uh, Pat Shermer really hasn't done much to fuel anything so far, and it's just really quarterback play. Jared Goff coming in had literally all the momentum. Unfortunately, I was the one guy who thought he was a bust. Uh, I was eventually wrong. Then again, I'm also the guy who thought Marcus Mariota would be the, would be the worst thing on television. Now he's actually competent. But uh, just to break down the numbers here, thanks to uh, Steve Ruiz of USA Today. Thank God for other news sources that could do all this for me. <laughs> um, you are right. It really is. What it comes down to is a quarterback battle. So when you look at the Pats and the Rams, the defense is actually going to be the biggest story. So Tom, Tom Brady, if you notice, at, watching the whole year, being able to watch him on, on prime time, he doesn't get touched. The Pats O-line has only allowed 42 pressures the entire season, and that's led Tom Brady as a, for his PR when kept totally clean at 105.3. Now, when he's pressured, he has, he has, a, he, he has a QBR of 71.2. The big key is there is Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald leading the front seven of the Rams. They've combined for 154 pressures this season, which is the most by any duo. The next closest was the Steelers' Stephen uh, Tewitt and Cam Hayward, who only had 100 combined. So, so to be able to have 154 pressures, 54 more than the next, lo- next lowest guy, it's almost insane. The big thing is, obviously, the Rams' front seven needs to get it done. The linebackers are, are banged up. We're coming, in, we're coming into a big day. I don't think Tom Brady ha- has any worry in the world. Um, the other the other big big story from what I'm looking at is the cornerback play. So obviously the the Pats are notorious for having their number one corner always cover the number two receiver. So so it's, so evidently it's probably going to be uh, Robert Woods unless the Rams make up some convoluted scheme to have uh, Brandon Cooks out wide. But even then he played for the Pats. They have something on him. Yeah, I, and I think uh, what New England did really well uh, in the game against the Chiefs where they where they. They won their last game. Is the Patriots were able to shut down Tyreek Hill and really make sure that he does not get out and uh, and destroy the Pats. So what they would do is they would put their number two, like you said, they would put their number two corner on him, and then they would double him with the safety, and that was usually uh, Jason McCourty would come in with the safety help uh, for New England, and that's how they shut down Tyreek Hill. The same thing kind of applies here. You have Robert Woods, who's probably their number one option, but then you have Brandon Cooks, and Brandon Cooks, as we know, he's the speedster, and he's a really ref- he's a really nice receiver. So we're probably going to see uh, the the safety help over the top with uh, Robert Woods, and we're going to have the one on one matchup probably between Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. But the only question now is, I remember back when uh, the Pats played the Chargers, the big issue there was that Mel- was that Melvin Gordon, his main assignment was Jason McCourty. So so they they had to take away the, the safety help over the top, and they were kind of stuck stuck between a rock and a hard place. Granted, the the Chargers only really had. Keenan Allen, uh, Tyreek Williams, and Mike Williams. Tyreek and Mike were the most elite players. The one thing that's working in the Pats' favor, absolutely. Granted, Todd Gurley is a threat no matter who you're playing, but they don't have Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup tore his ACL back, I think, week 9 or week 10 of the NFL season. That actually destroyed my fantasy team, unfortunately. Um, rip. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was rough. But without Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup being, being the slot receiver, they're now open to... They can pull pull back, cover Gurley, cover Cooks, and cover Woods with almost with 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 absolute ease. When you look at the defensive ratings versus the pass, the Pats are ranked number four, and the Rams are ranked ninth. Now, obviously, the Rams secondary has been almost pitiful the entire year outside of Marcus Peters, and just nothing seems to have, nothing seems to have clicked. And that was pretty evident back when they were at the Coliseum against uh, the Chiefs, and they have had like a hundred forty point outburst, whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also versus the run, the Pats are ranked ninth. The Rams are ranked twenty eighth. So here's the biggest key for for the Pats: Sandy Michelle and James White. James White is probably going to have an absolute field day catching the ball from the backfield, and he's so excited. I I can see it right now. So although the Rams have a better have better options on offense, James White and Sandy Michelle will probably set about three hundred yards total for the team. That's just what I'm looking at. Sandy Michelle. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if it was the AFC Championship or the divisional round, but he had three. He had three rushing touchdowns. That was the champion. No, no, 
That was he had two he had two against the Chiefs and he had I think he might have had two against the Chargers as well. Yeah. So I think he's got four combined. Now we're now we're talking two defenses that are actually even better than the Rams. I I'm gonna put this out bluntly. I honestly think the Saints should be in the Super Bowl, but that's just me. I think that's I think that's the popular opinion of America, and except I, for everyone in Los Angeles. Here's the problem, though. I feel like if that was the case, we'd have a much different game, and unfortunately. Like I, I'm not going to be a biased Giants fan and say the Pats are going to lose. I think I think the Pats are actually going to win, um, just because I think Tom Brady just is going to have a field day. James White, Sonny Michelle. I think the big issue also is going to be Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman, if you noticed throughout the playoffs, his just slant routes up the middle have just literally been a dagger in everyone's. It's heart. been destroying every single defense, and it's super simple to cover. It's literally the one corner, and then and then the safety help over the top. It shouldn't be that difficult to stop. But the problem is, is that the Rams run a zone heavy defense, and when you run a zone heavy defense, you have, when you have when you have the linebacking core, especially running a four three, you have the two exterior linebackers pushing out towards the flats, where you got to cover Gronk, and then you have a second uh, second tight end to play or the help the help. Over the top for the running back, you then leave a hole wide open in the middle, especially if you have Edelman running the slot. I don't know what Bill Belichick's plan is, but obviously being the guru he is. Uh, just a couple of small notes on the game as well. So the over under is currently set at, at fifty six and a half. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I you, I tend not to. I try not to bet right. on on football because I I. I don't want to disappoint my parents and lose a bunch of money, but also whenever I make uh, whenever I make a statement about about my my teams, uh, it usually ends up going the wrong way. So I I will refrain from making an official prediction from the for for this Super Bowl. But when the over is set at fifty six and a half, or the over under set at fifty six and a half, you have to think about the we're probably seeing the best two offenses in in football possibly. I mean, you could say the Chiefs and the Saints should be in there, but. When it, what it boils down to is two really efficient offenses, two really good quarterbacks with really good running backs and really good receivers. I think that we have a real, a very real possibility of seeing that be broken. I mean, you think about last year's Super Bowl, Philadelphia, forty-one in New England. Uh, you know, 33. It was ridiculous how high the score was, and it was like the most yards in any NFL game ever. Tom Brady passed for 505 yards in a Super Bowl in a losing effort that has never been done before in football, let alone the Super Bowl. But do you think even though they're two high-powered offenses, the defenses are going to prevail? I think that this will be the battle of which defense can stand strong. So that's going to bring in my next point. The best player on the Patriots' defense is probably Dante Hightower. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the Patriots' linebacker. He's the one that usually blitzes right up the middle. It's either going it's going to come down to and I know Aaron Donald's a D end, but it's going to come down to who's going to get more touches on their quarterback. Is it going to be Aaron Donald getting to Tom Brady or is it going to be Dante Hightower getting to Jared Goff? That is that could really be the big factor. The other factor could be Steven Gostowski and Greg the Leg Zerline. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Yes. So it could it could could not, it's either going to come down to a battle of who can get to their quarterback first or it's going to come down to the kickers because I I literally just see touchdown 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 and then it's whoever's got the ball with 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter whose kicker can hit the the dagger to it's, end the game. It's funny you bring it up. So going back to the betting, obviously you're going to refrain but I'll give you my bet. So again, the over under is set at 56 and a half. The Pats are given an edge at, at minus 2 and a half. Vegas is never wrong. I've never betted. I never bet against Vegas except for one time, and I lost forty dollars on the Mets. By the way, never take the over in baseball. It's the worst thing ever. Uh, <laughs> I have the Pats winning twenty-seven twenty-four over the Rams with a field goal in the last thirty seconds. It's going to literally come so close to the point that I think both teams will probably score three touchdowns apiece. I think the big issue is going to be Greg Zerline. Ha- he was injured for a good chunk of the year. He and has, he's dealing with injuries right now. Yes, he's banged up now. The efficiency isn't there, and he hasn't kicked the field goal longer than 53 yards since he came back from injury. If you're in a tight situation and you got to kick, kick a 60-yard field goal at the end of the game, can you really rely on, on Griggs Erland at this point? And, and it, it also comes back to Steven Gostowski. Patriots fans know all too well about the struggles of Steven Gostowski in the Super Bowl. He's missed extra points. He's missed field goals. I think I remember last year, I think the first... The first field goal attempt of the game for New England. Uh, Ryan Allen, the punter, fumbled the snap, and Gostowski had to like hesitate, wait, and then knocked the thing right off of the goalpost and missed the field goal. So the field goal wolves for both teams could play a big factor, but I do think that the game will come down to uh, who can kick the field goal in the clutch situation. Is it going to be the reliable Stephen Gostowski, or is it going to be the younger, banged-up Greg Zerline? 
on the bright side, though, when you're looking at uh, the atmosphere for the game, there's uh, there, there's going to be little to no wind, obviously. It's a dome, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be heated. It's going to be good. It isn't like we're going to be dealing like when when um when the Broncos played the Seahawks in New York. I don't know why they wanted to have the Super Bowl in it, their life. I think that that was just uh, open up that they 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 wanted the new stadium to come in. So Mer- Mercedes Benz is a new stadium, yeah. and the Falcons are are not playing very well in their new stadium. But they 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 have, like the NFL has this thing where they want to bring Super Bowls to new stadiums. It's going to be in LA when the Rams and Chargers get their joint stadium in a couple of years. But obviously, playing in the dome is a lot better than playing in the snowy conditions of New York. I remember I, I actually I actually almost went to the game. But uh, anyways, so getting off of that again, Pats twenty seven, Rams twenty four. You can hold me to that. I will bet literally my life savings on it, and it's not much. So, so all right. So let, let's 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 go off the football, but stay on the Super Bowl for a second. So uh, I don't know if you saw this report, but. The Falcons, who run Mercedes-Benz, uh, who run the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, have announced that they're going to keep concessions, their their prices on like beer, and hot dogs and food really low. Really. So it's going to be like dollar hot dogs, three dollar beers. It's not going to be like when you go to Fenway and you sit down and you got to pay out the nose for a for a Blue Moon. Oh. You know, I I personally don't, but my dad, my dad, he bought a blue moon and it was like ridiculously expensive. Don't remind me. Go, go to Madison Square Garden and buy me a beer. S- wait until you blow away seventeen dollars on on literally a little cup. So is this like is so this Super Bowl? I re- I really I applaud the Falcons for maybe biting the bullet and taking a little bit of loss on the concessions front, but tickets are still ridiculously expensive to go to the Super Bowl, even for the nosebleeds. Do you think that this is going to be a new trend in sports? Are concession prices going to be lower as a result of hopefully drawing in a little bit more revenue? Well, I mean, he, well, obviously it's a Super Bowl. It isn't like we're playing playing a re- a regular season game. I think because of the fact that the demand for a ticket, I think the average ticket price was selling for around $700, I think, on resale sites like StubHub. Like, when you're paying $700 for a seat and then you're paying an extra $14 for a beer, let's say you go four times for a beer, you're paying $48, something like that, it's it's almost inconceivable. Like, there's no point in doing it. You're paying almost $1,000, you know, 700 for your ticket, close to 200 for food if you got a partner with you. And if you're going to fly. Exactly. With that, like, I mean, like for me to go to for, for for me to go to Atlanta, I had a friend uh, from Rhode Island, is a huge Saints fan. He went down to New Orleans, cost him like four hundred dollars for, for a flight. Then again, you, then again, you had to go all the way to Boston to fly too, so you have extra extra fees. I think bigger events might go cheaper, but I don't see it. Like when you look at stadiums and how they build their revenue, it isn't just ticket sales like teams make their money off concessions like i think actually uh in my sports management class today we talked about it like 38 percent of revenue per game per game comes from the food so yeah. like i was obviously 700 hours for a ticket is substantial having a three dollar beer that's fine the only headline that i did hear though is that chick-fil-a is not gonna be open because it's a sunday <laughs> And apparently Chick-fil-A is like one of the biggest sponsors in Atlanta. Uh, so, unfortunately for all the fans, no awesome sandwiches. I think I think uh, I will be having Chick-fil-A uh, for, the, for the Super Bowl. Uh, that, but they're closing Sundays. Well, then I'm just going to have to order it on Saturday and then heat it up on Sunday for the game. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> all, right. all right. So, moving away from football, we're going to head into MLB free agency. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand what's going on. So, obviously, we have Manny Machado. We have Bryce Harper. We're about two months into free agency. The winter meetings have passed. Everyone's kind of getting ready to just head right, in, head right into pitchers and catchers come February 18th. And we're still sitting here with two of the biggest name players, including Craig Kimberlaw as well, just sitting, waiting who leaves first? What happens? So I think when you look at you look at everything that happened in the past like two or three off seasons. Last year the off season moved so slow. Uh, we waited for months for JD Martinez to sign. We waited for months for you know all these all these big name players to sign, and they ended up actually opening up a free agent camp in Florida uh, where there was no media allowed, which I really didn't find the point in. But it gives the it gives the players a chance to play. There has been a lot of there's been a lot of arguing. There's and there's and there's there's arguments for both sides. Uh, the players do they deserve to get paid, or should they, you know, swallow their pride, take a smaller amount of money, and be able to play baseball for a fan base that deserves to win? So you look at Manny Machado when you look at Bryce Harper, the two biggest free agents on the market, both want to sign for like ten years, three hundred million dollars, and they want to have opt out deals like every every two seasons. 
which is ridiculous. That gives the player all the power. That does not give the organization any chance to say, hey, look, we might want to like move on from you when you're 37 years old and you're not worth uh, $40 million a year. Like so, all right. This is the big problem that that I've had with all this. Obviously, as you said, free uh, free agency doesn't really open up until the big guys really leave. So, like JD Martinez, after he left, it took off like hotcakes. I think when it comes to uh, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, they're obviously taking the standpoint of what players like in the NBA are doing. So, like LeBron James has, he's basically been signing one year deals the entire time because he has opt out clauses every year. Granted, the MLB doesn't have a salary cap, so it isn't like when LeBron James signs for one year thirty million dollars or two years with an opt out clause. Then he opts out, and he can hop, and then he can opt back in for another for a new two-year deal worth like thirty-four million dollars, and it just keeps rising up. I think they're rotting at this point. Manny Machado, my, my friends and I were talking about this. As of right now, the baseline deal he could pro- he'll probably get is like seven years, one hundred one hundred seventy-five million dollars. That is bird feed for half the teams that that actually want to pursue him, especially with their cap space. When you look at it, Machado's being pursued by, by the White Sox, Yankees, Cubs, Phillies, and for some reason the Padres. For some, I don't know why the well, Padres want to compete. I have a wild thought on, on the Padres. I'll get to that in a minute. But when you look at Manny Machado's suitors, the White Sox have a have they have relatively good talent coming up. You know, Yoan uh, Moncada is dealing with his strikeout issue. Lucas Giolito had an awful year. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez is coming out. Michael Kopech, uh went to surgery. But if you're able to get a guy for 175 million dollars and still be able to build more on it, this is like this is this could be a elite team. The Yankees obviously they don't necessarily have a need for him. The the big thing is that the Yankees and like most teams, in order to land Machado, need to make a deal. So with Didi Gregorius out till July, the Yankees would have to either get rid of Didi. They, they signed Tulo. I don't think he's going to be a be a bit big worry. But they have to either get rid of Andujar, play him at third base, let Didi come back and then re-sign him, or get rid of Didi, keep Andujar, play him at shortstop, but then you don't have uh, your shortstop anymore. It's kind of tough to... So so I think that the Yankees made a very good move in trying to in trying to get Tulo, because they get Tulo at the veteran's minimum, which is like $500,000. The rest of his salary is being paid by the Blue Jays and the Rockies, where he's making you know more money than you and I will ever make in a lifetime combined. Um... The Yankees, they, they, they want to take a gamble. They, Brian Cashman was very clear about saying he wants to stay under the lag, under the luxury tax threshold, which at right now I believe is at $190 million for I'm baseball. Not, I'm not totally sure, but... But it's, it's right around there. I know that the Red Sox and the Nationals were the only team to eclipse that mark. Um, and so the Yankees, they want to stay under that luxury tax threshold, and if they sign either Harper or Machado, that would send them skyrocketing over that threshold to... And then you have to think about the fact that the Yankees won 100 games last season, and they didn't even win their division. Is it worth trying to go out, hit more home runs, get the same ex- get the same result that you had this past year, and still probably end up in second place to the Red Sox? I mean, in my opinion, the Yankees still need to go after another pitcher. That's just me. Yeah. Granted, like the Yankees can literally just sit still. Play their cards right. Play Tulo for half the year. Let Didi come back at, and do their thing. Although one thing that I have been kind of thinking about was what if the Yankees ma- made a play for Machado and dealt someone like Andujar or Didi in a package deal with like Floreal and another big time prospect and try and get JT Realmuto. Like um, Gary Sanchez batted, I think a little above the Mendoza line this year. Yeah, it was and, not. It was. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. And, actually, and for almost what price? Like he isn't worth anything. His defensive skills are are low. Just because he could hit, he could hit home runs. He's, he's a rich man's. Uh, if you remember this name, William Rosario. He played for the uh, Rockies. Yeah, yeah. He has like the uh, the record for home runs in the last decade because no one hits home runs at, at the catcher position. And so, like, what if they actually went out for Ramudo? Would it be worth it? Um, I think if you're the Yankees, you have to look at Gary Sanchez and you have to look at a bunch of different factors. First of all, I got back to you. Gary Sanchez didn't even hit 190 last season. <laughs> Oh my God! Gary Sanchez hit 186. I'd rather have Blake Swihart, like the last catcher on the Red Sox, than Gary Sanchez if he's going to hit 186. The Red Sox also have three very like sizable catchers. Like they're like they're doing pretty good. They are, but the problem with their catchers is they don't have any offensive output. Conversation for a different day. <laughs> Gary Sanchez was supposed to be the everyday catcher for the Yankees last season. Goes out. Hits 186, 18 dingers, knocks up one pitcher in the American League named David Price, doesn't even win the World Series. Why 
would the Yankees want to hold on to Gary Sanchez, who's got a cannon behind a plate, He's but he's got defensive woes blocking the ball, doesn't hustle down the line, hits one home run every, you know, four games, but that's the only hits he gets. He's literally, oh, jeez, I'm, I'm the three true outcomes king. He, Gary Sanchez and Joey Gallo are the same player. All right, but, like, I'd much rather have Joey Gallo, because so, as long as Joey Gallo learns how to swing up, and like uppercut the baseball, he can actually have a decent batting average. Joey, he's so in his ways that he's too lazy to work on it. Joey Gallo is going to have a terrific career in trick shot, trick shot golf <laughs> as soon as he's done with baseball. He hit Joey Gallo hit two hundred six last year, forty ding dongs. It's incredible for I a two point one WAR. Now let me get to this uh, before we move on to Bryce. I think Machado should go to. I think Machado and Harper. They'll go to opposites. So let's say Machado goes to the White Sox. Harper's going to go to the Phillies. If Harper goes to the White Sox, Machado goes to the uh, Machado goes to the Phillies. When it comes to the San Diego Padres, this is this is the one thing I want to bring up for everybody just to laugh at. San Diego Padres are notorious for for throwing money at players and ru- and ruining their careers. I mean, look at Justin Upton, Justin Upton, 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 Matt Kemp. They had Matt Latos. What happened to that one? Yeah. Uh, they have Austin Hedges was supposed to be the best catcher since Yachty, and he has Will not Myers? done anything. All right, Will Myers has been kind of he's been in and out. But anyways, so Bryce Harper. Just to get onto this, Bryce Harper is being pursued by the Dodgers, Cubs, Phillies, maybe the Yankees if they really want to throw money at the window, and the Nationals. Just I'm not like a, a reporter or anything. But uh, Maryland native and QU men's basketball player Aaron Robinson has said in my history of baseball class, literally last week at 11 o'clock, he believes Harper is not resigning. So I'll take his word for it. But, like, Bryce Harper is not coming back to the Nationals. So I, 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 I agree to disagree. So I think that Bryce Harper has waited too long. And you and I, you and I talked about this. I think it might have been last night. You and I were talking about how we believe that Bryce Harper has waited too long. He missed out on the on the contract he wanted from the Nationals. Um, the White Sox clearly don't want to pay him. If they wanted to, they they would have paid him by now. The Phillies are looking towards other options. They just got uh, Andrew McCutcheon trying to squeeze the last bit of life out of him. And so now Harper's and Machado, they're both in a position where they're like. Well, we're not getting the money that we want, so they're end up they're going to go back to the team on like a two year deal and half the money that they actually wanted. I mean, if the, the the team wants to keep some of the power over the players, because if they don't have power, then they don't have. If the teams don't have power, they can't build a franchise around them, right? I mean, just look at look at Albert Pujols. Oh okay, God. look, Albert Pujols me. at the age of thirty two signed a ten year. Re- contract like 250 million dollars 10 years 250 with the angels and he's gone literally nowhere and he yeah he's had one all-star year and they've made the playoffs once since Pujols signed that big contract the only thing keeping albert Pujols' career alive is the fact that he might hit 700 home runs in his career and he's like 38 now mm-hmm. so the team wants some of the power to build a franchise around around a player and end up winning a championship Last year, Scott Boris, who's you know probably the biggest biggest agent in all of sports, uh, tried to market his free agents like Jake Arrieta and J.D. Martinez as the best players to walk on the planet since Babe Ruth and Ted Williams, and they did not sign for anywhere near the asking price. And now he's going and, and he's shooting himself in the foot again with Bryce Harper. So I think that history is going to repeat itself. We're going to watch. We're going to literally watch Harper. And Machado signed for, you know, chum change compared to what they've wanted. Well, I have a crazy thought, and this, has, this literally just came across my face just now. When you look at the Milwaukee Brewers, Ryan Braun's 35 years old. Uh, he's making $19 million this year. Do you think there's a chance that, because Ryan Braun it will retire in the next couple of years, do you Absolutely. think that maybe one of these contending teams like the Phillies or like the Dodgers or, or the Nats or uh, the White Sox, would they trade for Ryan Braun? Not for a lot. More that more as a salary dump for the Brewers, and the Brewers go out, sign Bryce Harper to a one-year deal, and just and, and just shoot for the World Series. And if they win it, Bryce Harper realizes I'm with Christian Yelich, I'm with Eric Thames, Corey Knebel, I'm with Josh Hader, who Lorenzo Cain. Re- regardless of Josh Hader's background, I think Josh Hader might actually be one of the best relievers we'll ever see since Mo Rivera. 
just give him time. The lefty who throws 100 miles an hour can give you the heat. He blows everyone away. In my opinion, he's, he's not even their closer. He's the relief version, in my, from what I'm looking at, of Jacob deGrom. Being able to watch Jacob deGrom just go at it every single night and be dominant and watch Josh Hader do it. Also, you're only giving Josh Hader an, an inning, two innings. And exactly. he, he could pitch every other night. It's almost unstoppable. So I think maybe, what if Bryce Harper took a one-year deal, shot for the World Series with the Brewers? Um, you know, I think that, you know, if we're going to see Harper and Machado go to small market teams, um, I think that we would probably see them go to teams that are, like, guaranteed a playoff spot next year. So the Brewers, the Brewers are good. The Brewers were surprisingly good this past year. But they were still outdone by the Dodgers when it came down to crunch time. And, and they still, and they still couldn't get past you know, like the Cubs, who have, who have improved this offseason. But hold this on, off-season. the reason why the Brewers didn't didn't pan out, and I've been saying this for the longest time, same reason why the LA Rams haven't been what they could have been because of Jeff Fisher. Craig Council's managing has really been the downfall. You could have thrown out Jeremy Jeffries, Corey Knebel, Joaquin Soria, and Josh Hader every single night in the playoffs, considering you play every every other day, and you could have just wa- like washed the floor. You could have done what the 2015 Royals did and pitched Calvin Herrera, pitched Wade Davis, pitched Greg Holland every night. I think the only two other relievers that the Royals used in 2015 was Chris Young, who was 37 years old and like 8 feet tall, and I think... Oh, what was his name? Uh, I don't know. I can get back to you on that. But regardless... When you have three guys that that dominant, and the Yankees are gonna have are gonna have this upper hand uh, this year, when you could throw the throw throw the, those guys out, it's up to the managing at the end of the day. They just couldn't get it done. Absolutely right. We have to take a short break here. You are listening to the Mac and Main Show on ninety eight point one WQAQ. We're gonna get back to you. We're gonna hopefully get some of you guys involved. Open up the phone lines. Also open up the Twitter. So we'll be right back with you guys in a couple of minutes. Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, wherever the mission takes us, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for our nation, for us all. The few, the proud, the Marines. Hey, it's Emma Spagnolo, General Manager of WQAQ. Are you looking for a fun and creative way to get the word out about your business while trying to appeal to a young group of college students? Well, look no further. WQAQ is Quinnipiac University's student-run radio station. Here at WQAQ, we allow businesses of all kinds to advertise their products and services to our dedicated listeners. All we ask is that you provide our production team with copy points for your desired ad, and we'll come up with a professional and fun radio spot that will play at least 20 times per day. That's 140 times per week and 1800 times per month wqaq the soundtrack of quinnipiac Sound with the sound of speech, machine guns ready to go. Are you ready? 
Welcome back to 98.1 WQAQ, the Mac and Main Show. Have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody yet? I have, and it was so good. I saw it opening night with my two sisters and my girlfriend. It was fantastic. I, I really loved uh, Freddie Mercury, or the portrayal of Freddie Mercury in that movie. I thought it was just insane. Do you know they're actually making a sing-along version of putting it in theaters? They're putting. They're making a what? A sing-along version. A sing-along? Oh, like Disney? Like yeah. Disney's High School Musical stuff? <laughs> oh, no. I hope they don't ruin that movie. Anyway... <laughs> I'm Jack Main. Alongside me is Stephen McAvoy. We are opening up our phone lines to you guys. Ask us any questions you want. The number is 203-582-5555. That's 203-582-5555. Also, tweet us your questions. Our Twitter handle is Mac and Main. Main spelled M-A-I-N like the street. And Mac spelled like Mac and G's. Mac and Maine. That is our Twitter handle. Tweet us all your questions right there. Our phone number again, 203-582-5555. We have about, I'd say about 15 more minutes before From the Bleachers gets in here. So a big, you know, the NHL All-Star Weekend uh, just wrapped up as well as the Pro Bowl Weekend. So let's, you know, it's, it's always been, you know, big controversy. Is it worth it to have an All-Star Weekend where your players get hurt? or where, you know, games just don't matter anymore. So in America, the four major sports, the NBA has an all-star game, the MLB has an all-star game, the NHL has has an all-star tournament, and the football and NFL has a Pro Bowl, which 90% of the players opt out of because they think it's pointless. Mm -hmm. So what, so does, is it worth having... The All-Star Tournament, is it worth having home run derbies, three-point contests, dunk contests, skills challenge? Is it worth having that thing to risk injury to your players? All right, so as far as injury goes, uh, no matter what you do is going to be a injury-based uh, issue. So I, I like the fact that you have an All-Star weekend in the NBA, NHL, and uh, MLB just because it gives a break. Obviously, in the MLB, 162 games, it gets very, t- uh, very strenuating. So being able to have that week off is kind of nice for the players. Now... Again, injury can happen at literally any point. So in my opinion, I think I think the games are all obsolete. Like the Pro Bowl, no one cares. No one plays defense. It's whatever. The M- uh, the MLB is the only sport that that you really have to play defense considering it's like you're playing you're playing the game. Yeah. In the NHL, the tournament defense is not played, and in the NBA, defense in the NBA it's really is optional. Well, like it's optional in the game. I feel like it should it shouldn't be. Like, defense in the NBA is not the most strenuating thing in the world. It's simply just covering somebody. The worst thing you do is roll an ankle and you're out, and you're out a day and a half. You, like, the, the injury risk playing in the skills competitions and everything, it's almost the same. Like, you, you, you could shoot a three, come down like Kyle Korver, and, and land on your ankle. Next thing you know, you're like Paul George and you're out for like a year and a half. So, anything's possible. The only thing is, like... Uh, the game's obsolete. I feel like the skills competition is the one thing that, that should really like stick around. So like, I love how the MLB had the All Star Game determine home field advantage because like it, it gave a point to winning. The NBA should, in my opinion, the MLB and NBA should should stick to that format because it, obviously it, it makes it more exciting. Players want to actually participate. Uh, the NHL three v three was a good mix up, but the problem is with the NHL is that it gets no coverage for anything because hockey it, it, hockey hasn't found its footing. Like the NFL has the NFL, you can market literally anything, and it will be the headline of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like with the NFL Pro Bowl, it's no one plays. I think I think the skills competitions are pretty cool. So like the uh, the obstacle course where like you have like five guys and all that's all that's cool. And like the receivers challenge. Yeah, I really I think that's really freaking cool. And like it, it, it's awesome because because like you're literally doing things in game that you're just kind of doing for fun. And by the way, jumping over a nine foot wall is insane. Like I I can barely touch the net. Of a basketball hoop, let let alone jump over a nine foot wall and catch a catch a football. So like, and like obviously it's really a, a cash grab by corporate America, but it's also in major sports you're selling the experience, you aren't selling the game itself. 
So All Star Weekend is really the experience, especially for like kids that like get into it's like the dunk contest, the insane handles of the skills competitions, the home run derby. It's just it's something that, that us as older as older men and obviously older than us, it's kind of lost its touch. But I yeah. think I, it, it's always going to stay around because of the kids. So opinion. so that's like the one thing that baseball can actually market to literally every single sports fan because. MLB uh, does not have a very big market. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, you know it's kind of like it's either you you love it because you're because you played little league growing up or you love it because you're you're an old person and you know it's the only thing you grew up watching. So the home run derby, you got guys like John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, Bryce Harper come in and and hit balls as far as humanly possible, like over five hundred feet at times. Like that's that's beautiful. Like that that's something that not every person can do. So shout out shout out Cool Steve back home. Uh, cool Steve uh, thinks that baseball is the hardest sport to play, and here is why: anybody in football can take a hit. They can take a hit from a linebacker. They may not take it well, but they will get back up and they will be okay. In baseball, it takes a special kind of talent to hit a baseball coming at you at a hundred miles an hour. That is a special talent, and I can't do it. You can't do it, but seven hundred guys in in Major League Baseball can do it. That's why they're there. If anybody's interested on Netflix, there's actually a great documentary called Fastball. It's actually uh, really, it's really good. So, like the science behind it now. Like I'm obviously no science guy. I'm I'm just doing business management. Like that's my thing. But like when when you look at the numbers, you have I think it's like point tenth, uh, like one tenth of a second. To determine where the ball is, if you want to swing or not, and put and put contact on, put contact on the ball, the average eye blinks at three tenths of a second. So before you, before you can literally blink, the ball's at you. So I I think baseball baseball is the hardest as far as technique goes because also baseball is one of those like skill games. I think the hardest sport to play, in my opinion, though, is golf. Just because I <laughs> like you put me out on a golf course and I will probably break break eight. Clubs and probably lose triple that for balls. <laughs> like it's just yeah, like it's just it, not gonna work. And also, hockey's pretty tough too because you got to skate, you got to stay balanced. You're moving really fast. Anyway, we do want to hear from you guys again. Tweet us out Mac and Maine on Twitter. Also, hit up our phone lines two zero three five eight two five 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 two zero three five eight two five 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 five. So one of the big things I want to talk about with with the time we have remaining is the Hall of Fame. What uh, what went down? Obviously, we have our. Our uh, inductee shout out to Mo for being the first unanimous guy. I do think Griffey should have got the unanimous vote first, but that's just me. Uh, but one person that you and I were talking about that actually didn't, I, I didn't think much of it until literally yesterday when I was looking up uh, the, the show notes, Todd Helton. Todd Helton is entering his third year on the ballot, and I am shocked that he hasn't been inducted yet. Well, Todd Helton, this is actually Todd Helton's first year on the, on the ballot. He, he retired in 2013. With oh, uh, I'm going crazy then. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so Todd Helton. I, I'm in. I'm in a baseball statistics class, and we have to pick two players to compare, uh, to put and to put in the Hall of Fame. One one player who's in the Hall of Fame, and another player who's a lot like that and should be inducted. So, when you when you think about Todd Helton, I think you have to throw stats almost completely out the window. Now, Todd Helton by no means had had stats to just sneeze at. He batted three sixteen for his career. He hit three hundred home runs. Uh, over 300 home runs he had over he had 2500 hits but beyond all the statistics the Colorado Rockies were an expansion franchise in the 1990s and did not see any success as where the as where the Florida Marlins won a world series they won a couple of world series in their first few years and the Arizona Diamondbacks won the one of the most famous world series of all time in 2001 so though so those those teams have had a lot of faces to their franchise the the Marlins and and the Diamondbacks, Luis Gonzalez, and just to, just to name one guy, you know, for the for the for the Diamondbacks who have been you know the face of that franchise, the Colorado Rockies did not make their first World Series until 2007 when they were swept. Mm-hmm. But the one consistent factor throughout the entire Colorado Rockies franchise has been Todd Helton. He is the face of the history of the Colorado Rockies that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Now you said. 
to push not to push the push all the numbers by the wayside. I'm actually going to disagree with you on that. This is my case, and obviously, me being the numbers guy, I spent like eight hours doing this. So actually, uh, I took your baseball stats class. Shout out to my professor Stanley Rothman, one of the coolest guys I ever had. Uh, so we learned a lot about uh, the modern day sabermetrics. So Bill James created the metric. Uh, through his ideology for players entering the Hall of Fame. It's based on a scale from as low as 20 with a weight. So based on your position, some players get a weight. And it goes it goes literally as high as you go. So, so for example, the highest ever, you know who it is? Wait, uh, the, the highest ever? The highest standard for getting for uh, for Bill James's Hall of Fame metric. Do you know who holds the highest point total? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, I want to say Mariano just because he was unanimously voted. Stan Musial. Stan, Stan Musial, I would not have guessed. Stan that. the Man has a 452 rating. Granted, Todd Helton scores 175, but Stan Musial is one of the greatest ever. So when you look at Todd Helton's numbers, he's one of 19 hitters since 1900 to post a 300, 400, 500 batting line in at least 5,000 plate appearances. He's one of four players to compile 400 total bases in back-to-back seasons, and he's one of six players who owns a 316 batting average, 414 OBP, and a 539 slugging percentage over 1,000 games. There are only five players that are on that list. Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, Ted Williams, and Stan Musil. That's five of the greatest players to ever live. Now... That's my numbers uh, portion. As far as Bill James's metric goes, Todd Helton scores at 175. The any player who has a, who has above a 100 is the average for the Hall of Fame. So like Craig Biggio got in at 101. Todd Helton's at 175. I think the big problem with Todd Helton that is going to push him away from the race for a little bit. I think he's going to get in eventually. Uh, I think he should have been a first. He should have been a first. I think he should have been as well. But because of a stat class with uh, Mo, Edgar Martinez, Roy Halladay, even like Bonds and Clemens just kind of uh, filling up, and Larry Walker, another legendary Colorado Rocky, he only received sixteen point five percent of the vote. So him getting in is going to really determine largely on the pool of talent. Again, I I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think he's going to get in in, in either the twenty twenty ballot, so next year, or he might not even get in until at least twenty twenty three. Because at that point, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Larry Walker will all be off the list. I think he will absolutely get in, but like it's really up to the bait. It's yeah, and for those for those of you guys who don't know, Bill James um, is most notably famous for coming up with the theory of Moneyball, which the Oakland A's uh, infamously uh, put that put those tactics into place in the 2002 season when they went on a 20-game win streak. If you haven't watched Moneyball, you're missing out on all of life. Bill James is the man behind all of that. Um, of course, Bill James has come under a lot of scrutiny lately. Uh, he called he, during the World Series. He's actually a special advisor uh, for the Red Sox. And I don't know if the Red Sox let him go or not. But uh, he came out. Bill James came out with a statement that said, all players are replaceable. And I... Looked at my phone when I saw that, and I almost cried because you, tell me right now you can go out there and find another Mike Trout. Go out there and tell me you can find another Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he's he's somewhere as far as where he is. I don't really know, but but, but finding another one. Mookie Betts led all of Major League Baseball last season with like a ten point eight WAR, ridiculous, one of the best all time. Tell me right now where you can go find another Mookie Betts, another Mike Trout, Clayton Kershaw. They're once they're generational players. Well, yeah, but it, again, it it all comes down to where you're coming from. Like like Mike Trout coming out of New Jersey. Not many big time athletes actually have came out of New Jersey as far as uh, the homegrown talent that he has. But you can really find them anywhere. I I don't think replaceable. When you look at players like that caliber, I don't think they're replaceable. But when you say replaceable, I think of I can easily replace. Uh, Let's take on the Mets. I can easily replace Yoannis Espinosa with three guys that can that, that can average out the stat numbers of Yoannis Espinosa that are going to be far more reliable. I yeah. Think. So, so you you can take like your average players, and I know Yoannis Espinosa has probably been on on more of a decline than anything as of late uh, playing for the New York Mets. He's he had his glory years with Detroit and with Oakland, but now you have to look at you know. Which players can you afford to replace, or can you can, are you willing to part ways with? If you look at the players that most need replacing in baseball, I think you have to look Albert Pujols. You know, yeah. tough one to swallow, but he needs to he needs to go. Um, you know, to a point, you can even say Ryan Braun. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's definitely lost some of his panache, and also and also you you know you want to assess, but it also climbs into my mind. Bartolo Colon, I think Bartolo Colon still brings a little bit of value to a team because just because he's a veteran, yeah. and, and he and he kind of and he brings in this aura of yes, Bartolo Colon is on this team. We need to we need to perform, or or else we are going to be you know looked down upon by one of the greatest. That's another debate, though, if Bartolo Colon is one of the greatest uh, pitchers to pitch. I mean, he's he's more of a meme at this point. You could put him on the list now. Is he I, a Hall of Famer? Well, this this actually brings in a new debate about Mike Messina getting into the Hall of Fame. Did Mike did Mike Messina deserve it? Uh, so I think he did. I remember. I did not. I don't really remember Mike Messina playing very much. I was really young when he was in his glory years. I know that he played uh, for he pitched for Baltimore and for New York, and I remember very specifically watching Mike Messina uh, in a Red Sox Yankees game. Uh, in 2008, and Mike Mussina pitched lights out, and I remember thinking, wow, this guy's a really good pitcher, and then I read uh, The Last Night of the Yankee Dynasty, uh, written by um, Vermont native uh, Buster Only, and I think, and I'm thinking to myself, well, Mike Mussina was really a great pitcher. He was dominant. He wasn't Roy Halladay dominant, he wasn't Roger Clemens dominant, but he was, he was one of the best of his generation. And I think you have to look at those generational players, and you have to say, alright, they deserve they deserve to get into the hall. So, actually, it's funny you say that. So, the big thing, and where you said Todd Helton's stats don't necessarily matter because he was a generational talent for the Rockies, I'm going to actually go Mike Messina was, was a generational talent for the Yankees. So, Mike Messina, if you notice, he pitched, he pitched mainly in the 90s. He pitched in the most demanding division in baseball in the 90s. He yeah, pitched least, in the yeah. steroid era. And, like, granted, he... So, he pitched in the most demanding division in baseball his whole career while in the least friendly pitching era ever. His rings and his awards don't really tell the tale. Neither does his career ERA of three a three six eight. But his postseason numbers were impressive. He is one of four Yankees to get at least eight innings perfect against the Red Sox. Fun fact: three of those guys actually finished. Unfortunately, he came one out away and lost yeah. it to an Edgar Renteria base hit with literally I think two strikes in the, uh, in the ninth. But anyways, he didn't receive uh, Cy Young votes. He did receive them in, in nine different seasons. His best season was literally only uh, beaten out by Pedro Martinez when he won 23 games and rung up a 207 ERA. I cannot blame Mike Messina for that. I think Mike Messina d- deserves it. Also, he had a metric score, like I said, of 121, which ranks better than 17 Hall of Fame pitchers and a six-point shy of Roy Halladay as far as numbers go. So I think Mike Messina did deserve it. Now back to Bartolo Colon. I think he will deserve it eventually. Again, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he will get there eventually. So we have to wrap up here very shortly. But before we wrap up, we are going to do what we call our Blitz for Six, or our Blitz, as you will say. We have uh, from the Bleachers waiting in the green room right now. So our Blitz for Six actually has its own theme music, and we are very happy to bring it in. There we go. So... Blitz for six. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to throw a bunch of information at you guys rapid fire. It's going to be a bunch of stuff that we, you know, we're just going to touch up on, kind of short opinions. So first things first, NBA standings. James Harden is on one of the most incredible streaks in NBA history. Shed some light on that real fast. James Harden has literally found a way to outplay the game. It's almost as if he's playing one-on-five basketball, but eventually it will catch up to him at some point. 89% of his shots so far this year have been either a layup or a three, and his point totals are, are have been off the wall. He's on pace to break the uh, single-month scoring record. I d- d- didn't know they actually kept stats that heavy. Uh, also in the NBA, Anthony Davis, is he going to L.A.? So he just requested a trade at 8 a.m. this morning before I even woke up. Um, Anthony Davis, I think that uh, he has a little bit of a, a, a you know a bromance with LeBron James. I think every player in the NBA has a bromance with LeBron James. Uh, of course, whenever a player requests a trade, the first place they're going to think of is L.A. I think that everyone needs to pump the brakes on Anthony Davis going to L.A. because there's a total possibility he could go to Toronto, he could go to Boston, he could go to Milwaukee. There's, there's, just, there's more than just... LA out there. All right. Next up, we got Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Eli Manning. All three guys late in their prime. Brady said there's a zero percent chance that this Super Bowl is his last game. What do you think about the three of them and their longevity in the NFL? So Tom Brady, if he says he can play till 45, I'm not going to be the one to doubt him. I know you guys are going to be like, "Oh, you're just a Patriots fan." <laughs> Tom Brady is an MVP caliber player at the age of 40. Name me another player in the history of sports to do that other than Barry Bonds. Please, like, tell me right now. You can't. That's just how dominant Tom Brady is. If he's going to say he can play till 45, I'm not going to be the one to doubt him. 
All right. Eli Manning, I think he's got a, I think his, his leash is a little shorter. And Drew Brees, he also continues to play at an elite level at the age of 40. I think he'll play for another one or two seasons. Uh, so, oh, yeah, and then we also have to bring in uh, the Australia Open. Um, huge upset in the Australia Open. Is Serena Williams out after back-to-back exits? All right, so when it comes to Serena Williams, I certainly think this is now a product of Serena's decline and the new rise of Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka has been, is now the first Japanese-born tennis player to win a Grand Slam, as well as the first Japanese tennis player to be number one. That was on the women's side. Novak Djokovic won it on the men's side in straight sets over, over, over Rafael Nadal. I don't think he seems to be slowing up. But Naomi Osaka, man, he she's been on a tear. Now I don't watch tennis, and I literally sat in front of a TV TV for three hours just to watch her her play. And my God, it's it's beautiful. And the last blitz of the evening on the local side of things: Quinnipiac hockey and basketball. Uh, not this week, but next week, huge clash: Quinnipiac Yale men's hockey. I mean that that's a that's a little that's a little ways out. Quinnipiac currently sits sixth in the country in the national hockey rankings. Break it down for us. So. Obviously, with Chase Persky leading the pack, potential Hobie Award winner. I Go think, vote for him, by the way. I think Quinnipiac will probably, uh, even a loss in the, ECAC, in the ECAC tournament will mean an NCAA berth. I don't want to jinx anything, but there will definitely be challenges ahead. I think Providence is one of the teams they got to look out for if they end up facing them as well. The top three teams in UMass, where they split one and one. Granted, they lost on Olympic ice. That's a different story for another day. St. Cloud and Duluth. Uh, Quinnipiac basketball is 5-3 and three so far in the MAC, but what really is their story? When you look at the numbers, they've lost all three games by two possessions or less. They lost 72-67 to 67 against number one Ryder. Two, they lost by two to number three Canisius, and they lost by number three to, Ni- they lost by three points to Niagara. They have a chance to, to do good things down the stretch and into the, into tournament time, but their biggest challenge is going to be their height. They have guys that are way lower than the competition. Ryder has three guys over over six foot nine. Quinnipiac's tallest guy is Abdullah Bundu at six foot eight, and Kevin Marvo at I believe the same height. So now we're going to move on to our biggest winners and biggest losers of the weekend. Who you got for your winners? Uh, so my winners of the week, even though they lost, I got the Boston Celtics. They were the only team to be really competitive and take it to the Golden State Warriors this week. So my, my, my big winner is going to be Quinnipiac's own Cameron Young. He transferred here in 2016, coming in as a junior. He played six games under then-head coach Tom Moore, the new, head co- the new assistant coach of Rhode Island. He only averaged 1.3 points a game in eight minutes played, but when... When Baker Dunleavy came in, he played all 33 games, averaging 34.1 points a game. He currently holds the MAC lead in points per game, most points scored, tenth in steals, third in free throws, and number one in makes. He's absolutely dominant, and I think he ain't slowing up. My biggest loser of the week is going to be the, the New Orleans Saints. Should be playing in the Super Bowl, obvious reasons. I, I, I'm actually go, going to agree with you. I think that, that, that the pass interference call was absolutely a bust, but hey, you know what? The better luck next year. We have to get on out of here. Stephen McAvoy, Jack Main, the first episode of the Mac and Main show. Go follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main, and we are going to hopefully get some more updates for you guys next week. Super Bowl breakdown. Either I'm going to be heartbroken or in tears. <laughs> um, and coming up next, we have from the bleachers with Dan Ball, Matt McAuliffe. So stay tuned for that. Thanks everybody for tuning in and making us a part of your Monday night. We'll see you next week.
go See I had to move No more wasting time You can't wait for life We're just racing time Where's the finish line? So keep your love I'm